Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this January 2017 episode is Plan for Genealogy Success in 2017. We're going to start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad will get us off to a great start with tips for writing your life story and how to bring back lost memories. And then we're going to jump right into our top tips segment to talk about some of the best ways to get the most out of Ancestry.com with author Nancy Hendrickson. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we'll dig into the Heritage Quest website with David Frixell. In the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, the genetic genealogist Blaine Bettinger will be here to talk about tips for choosing the right DNA test. And then we'll wrap things up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, who's got another terrific tool for ensuring research success. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. ready to kick off this episode. We're going to talk all about planning for genealogy success in 2017. So let's do that over at the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you too. It's it's going to be a great year. We are trying to cover as many things as we can in this episode to help us all have a fantastic genealogical new year. And I know one of the things that everybody kind of thinks about this time of year is gosh, I haven't done much about saving my own memories. And I saw you were blogging about that over at the Genealogy Insider blog. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, there were a few things that um, that I was kind of pulling together in this blog post. We had that um, article in our January-February issue about the 17 genealogy habits for success. And one of those was recording your own story, which you forget about because you're, you know, trying to find out about all these other people's stories, all of your ancestors. But just think about how great it would be to have some kind of journal or letters or something that would really reveal what's going on inside the person's head. Um, you know, what do they think about? What are their opinions about what was going on at the time? What do they like? What are they interested in? Because um, you really want to know these people. And I think down the line, Either our own descendants or, you know, someone else in our family is going to want to know each of us. So um, recording your own stories are kind of a way to do that for people in the future. Yeah, and I know they're going to appreciate it. And, and you have a couple of really neat tools that people can tap into right away. Yeah. Family Search has launched something called the 52 Stories Project, which exists to try to get each of us to record a story about ourselves every week in 2017. So they have, um, in the blog post, I have the landing page for the project. They have prompts, um, tips, and examples of other people's stories to help inspire and motivate people. And then um, we at Family Tree Books have this book by Sunny Jane Morton called Story of My Life, which is sort of a more in-depth way to record your own story. It has writing prompts, um, advice for remembering, um, bringing back memories, and dealing with difficult subjects, and um, just a way to organize all of these thoughts and things that happened in your life. So, um, So the blog post has some of those tips for bringing back 
lost memories. Yeah, and I love these. There's there's four of them listed here. And, you know, the first one says free associate. And it says start with a blank page, which of course terrifies everybody. But but she really walks you through how to really cope with that blank page and get moving, get, get yeah. really flowing those memories. Yeah, you just write, I remember at the top. And then I think the key is to not feel like you have to put down a complete thought, just put down impressions that come to your mind, quick descriptive words, things that maybe that remind you of the person whose name is at the top of the page. So I gave an example of if I put grandma at the top of the page, um, I'd, put, I'd write down really quickly, sewing, Potbelly Bear, which is my favorite Christmas gift that she ever gave me, her favorite color purple, the name of her street, and I just keep going until I just run out of anything to write. And when you do it like that, then you have all of these little topics you could then even once a week, just sit down and and then write a little paragraph about each one of those because half the challenge is just coming up with them and remembering them. And then I think it all starts flowing. Yeah, you flesh it out later. Oh, I love it. Well, this is going to be a great way to have success in 2017. And not just for you, but for your descendants, they are so going to appreciate this. Diane's blog post is called Writing Your Life Story, How to Bring Back Lost Memories. And it's really possible. Thank you so much, Diane. You're welcome. Ancestry is one of the mainstays of online genealogy research. And of course, that means that one of the keys to success in 2017 is going to be to stay up to date on the best way to use the website. Well, here to help us with that is Nancy Hendrickson. She is the author of the brand new unofficialancestry.com workbook, a how-to manual for tracing your family tree on the number one genealogy website. Welcome back, Nancy. Hey, thank you. I love being here. Oh, we love having you here. This workbook is really cool. It really deals with the real life of research and getting the most out of ancestry. And that's going to help us a lot this year to uh, be successful. I'd, I'd love to have you share with us. What's one of the features of ancestry that you would recommend that we master this year? Oh, Lisa, I think the issue of the shaky leaf hints is something that people appreciate having and because they know it, it can get them further down the road in research. But when you go onto the Ancestry website, you know, you can log in and it can say, you know, you have 542 hints. And if you look at your family tree that you've uploaded, you know, every single person's got some leaf with, you know, three hints, five hints, eight hints. And the issue is um, how do you corral all that stuff? Is there like a game plan for dealing with hints and here are a couple things I've come up with. Number one, and this has probably been my biggest time saver, is I don't use the website when I'm dealing with hints. I use the Ancestry app on my tablet or my phone. And I'll tell you why. Because with the app, I can actually tell it to show me hints. I can filter. Show me hints on all the Hendrickson's. I can further filter by saying only show me hints by either records, photos, or stories. I mean, did you know that? No, I, you know, I, I noticed the other day I was using it on the mobile app and I was having a more enjoyable experience. I didn't really, you know, focus in on what the difference was, but, 
wow, that can really make a difference that you have a different experience versus the website. It is huge because just this morning I typed in, in uh, on my tablet, show me all the hints for Hendrickson and I only want to see the ones that there are actually stories attached to them. So I love collecting stories. Yeah. And it it makes going through these hints so much easier. I, I love using it on the mobile app. The other thing, too, is I really encourage people when they're dealing with hints to deal with either one surname or one person at a time. And if you're on the Ancestry website and I'm looking at, you know, John Hendrickson, then a leaf pops up for somebody else and then I'm popping over there. It's just like being on the Internet. It's too distracting for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're popping all over the place. So I really like focusing on a single surname or actually a single person. The other thing, too, Ancestry really casts a wide net when it shows you hints. So you can see like your third great uncle or your third great uncle's wife in these hints. And using this method really kind of helps me get a much better handle on that. So so I like that. And the second thing that I do, and I really encourage people to do it, some nights I may just sit here with my tablet and I will just, and this is antithetical to what I just said, but I will just quickly skim down through the hints on my tablet. And if there's anything that I know has absolutely nothing to do with my family, I tap it and get it out of the hints. And it's just an easy way for me to uh, decrease the number of hints that are coming up for me that I know, you know, if I have somebody who never left the state of Indiana and I'm seeing a hint with a death certificate in Washington state, I can easily get them out of the hints. So those are the two things I do. I really encourage people to use the the mobile apps. It's going to make your life easier. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you get that kind of onslaught of information or potential information is exciting. And it, it, it makes you feel like, oh, wow, there's so much to do. And yet it can really throw you off good research methods, can't it? <laughs> because it, it, it throws you off the trail and you end up kind of willy nilly versus letting your methodology set your path, and then tapping into the hints. Yeah, and you know, whether it's the hints, or, or writing something about your family history, None of us do very well when we are in a state of overwhelm. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I encourage people to take one problem at a time. And that's why in the workbook, I, I enjoy doing the workbook so much because it is filled with real life examples of here's the problem. Here's the way I went after the solution using ancestry. And, you know, hints are the same thing. Do one at a time. You know, just do one at a time. Otherwise, it's just too overwhelming. So if somebody is having some challenges with uh, research in a particular family, whatever, how, how would they open this book up and actually put it to work? Well, you know, the the book is really a compilation of case studies. I mean, that's kind of the, the easy way to put it. But if they're looking, let's say that they're looking for land records or a probate file, they can go to that chapter and they'll see real life examples of how I approached it to solve the problem. And I think it's basically teaching you how to have better detective skills and how not to stop at the first brick wall 
because there's a, in fact, there's an example in the book of me looking for something. I came up with an absolute dead end, but when I approached it from a different direction, I found what I was looking for. I knew it was there and I could never figure why does it not show up in this database? So I kind of showed the the thought process of going in a different direction to find it. And I think those are the most helpful things about the workbook. Fantastic. Well, everybody has their challenges. And sometimes we do kind of need a, a fresh approach. And this book really does give you that and help you uh, come at it from a more logical method that really gets you to the end goal. It's called the unofficial ancestry.com workbook, a how to manual for tracing your family tree on the number one genealogy website. I'm going to have a link to it in the show notes. And Nancy, thank you so much for getting us on the right track with hinting. We're going to start doing that right away. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, Lisa. Well, it's time to profile one of our 101 best websites for tracing your roots. And today, David Frixell is here to talk about Heritage Quest. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks for having me. Hey, Dave, I would say that Heritage Quest is a name familiar to most genealogists, but it's not always clear how to access it and what exactly it offers. Can you give us, start us off with a quick overview? Well, that's true. It's really not like any other site on our 101 best websites because all the other sites on the, the list, you know, you type in the URL and off you go and you may have to be a subscriber, um, but, in, but you're there at any rate. And with Heritage Quest, it doesn't quite work that way because it's a subscription website, but the subscriber is actually your local public library. And so if your library subscribes, in most cases, and this, may, I, this is probably an option for the libraries, but in my library, certainly, um, if you go to your library's website and then look for you know, an e-library or online services, or you, you may have to dig it out to find where they are hiding it, um, you'll find a link called Heritage Quest. Well, then you, when you click on that, usually you may have to enter your library card number. Um, in my case, you have to enter a PIN um, as well. And then suddenly you're on this website and the website looks just as though you had, you know, typed it the traditional way, but the way you access it is through your library. And the cool thing, of course, is that then it's free to you as, you know, part of your tax dollars paying for um, your library. And it really offers an, an awful lot of information and, and material um, that you can access right at home. There are some websites like this and, or services like this where you have to be physically in the library, but Heritage Quest seems to be uh, typically offered so that you can do it in the library or from the you know, comfort of your own home in your PJs. So that's, that's good to know. We need to basically check in with our librarian, our reference librarian, and ask, do you guys subscribe to Heritage Quest? And, exactly. Um, I know here I live in Texas – even if you don't live in a particular one of the bigger cities, you know, oftentimes it's with the bigger cities, but sometimes the smaller ones as well, you can go in and ask if you can get a library card with that particular library, because they do have Heritage Quest access, even though it may not be your very local library. So uh, you're not always stuck if you don't have it available in your very local library. Let's talk a little bit about what we can find there. 
And I know things have changed for Heritage Quest, right? They really have. When we first, you know, it, it, they've been on 101 best list for quite a while. And typically, if you went there, there were, let's say, about a half dozen things. They were really good things. Um, it was the U.S. Census, although I think they didn't quite have all of it. Some of the more recent ones are missing. And they had um, Revolutionary War pensions and the U.S. serial set and some Freedmen's Bank records and a few things like that. There were, say, about a half dozen databases all in all. Well, things have changed dramatically since then. Um, now they have a deal where they weren't sold to Ancestry, but there's now a different licensing deal. So there, the phrase is powered by Ancestry. And in fact, if you go on the, the site, the URL that shows now is AncestryHeritageQuest.com uh, oh. once you get through. Um, so it's, it still says Heritage Quest Online at the top. And the front page, you'll note, it's still it, it's sort of reminiscent of what Heritage Quest up, used to be in that there are um, a half dozen or so boxes of things that seem to be the, the main things, including Census, Revolutionary War, Freedmen's Bank. So that all looks fairly familiar with like a new design. But if you click on the button, there are three choices up at the top, Search, Research, Aids, and Maps. And the one you really want is Search. And suddenly if you see Search, you really get to much more the nitty-gritty of it. And you'll find that what you really have, I mean, I think of it as sort of an ancestry light uh, in that you, from home, without having to subscribe to Ancestry, you get an awful lot of the material that's available on Ancestry. And when you click through on any of these links, the pages look like you're in Ancestry. So, you know, it really is a free for, to you way to access Ancestry databases. And these include the U.S. Census collection all the way from 1790 to 1940 with search capability, um, the family history and local books like you have in Ancestry, cemeteries, which is basically um, find a grave, city directories, so that's new, military records, which go beyond what Heritage Quest used to have, immigration records, so that's also new, public records, that's will be familiar to Ancestry users, um, the Social Security Death Index, uh, Revolutionary War pensions, which they had before, the U.S. serial set that they had before, Freedmen's Bank, some photo collections, some maps, and then way down at the bottom, it says search records in other locations. Well, that sounds, you know, they've sort of buried it here. Um, but again, that's really more ancestry stuff, including if you click on more U.S. records, which is at the very, very bottom, is a bunch of U.S. vital records that are accessible from Ancestry. If you click on U.K. and Irish, for example, you get a bunch of vital records um, in England. I don't believe they have the U.K. census, so it's not everything you get in Ancestry. You know, you're still, you know, would have to go to Ancestry to get all of those details, but it's an awful lot of it and more than you might suspect from just sort of quick glance at the homepage. Wow, that has changed a lot. That could be... Well, that could be huge for somebody who does not Yeah, it's sort of mind-boggling. Yet... Yeah. Well, it, particularly because, you know, if you don't yet have or haven't made the investment in an Ancestry subscription, and, and I know we get new genealogists every month, people who are just now dabbling into their genealogy and they tune into the podcast and, wow, this would be an awesome place to start because it would just open up all kinds of records to you um, and far more than Heritage Quest ever has before. So that's kind of exciting. And it's easy, the searching is easier. It's much more like Ancestry, um, which has always had you know, very flexible, powerful search tools. So 
and you know, the good thing is once you get used to it then, and then, you know, you're ready. Okay. I've exhausted this. I, I need to find some ancestors. I'm going to, I'm going to go invest in regular ancestry. You'll already, this will be old hat to you. You'll already be familiar with searching with what the results look like. So it'll, it'll just, you know, like putting on a pair of old shoes, um, you'll just be able to keep walking. But, you know, when you think, well, this is, you know, run, run down to your local library and thank them if they subscribe to it. Because yeah. <laughs> it's a, this is a pretty sweet deal, really, when you consider, I mean, Ancestry is, although it's certainly worth it, it's not a, you know, a cheap deal. So um, you can sort of get your, your Ancestry training wheels here for free and, uh, you know, find a lot of answers that you, you know, couldn't otherwise without having to shell out a fair amount of bucks. And possibly from home. So you don't necessarily always have to be in the library to be able to do it. And check exactly. with, check with the next uh, largest city over if yours doesn't have it and ask if they do. Great advice. This is wonderful, Dave. Thank you so much for getting us back up to speed with Heritage Quest. Thanks for having me. Using DNA for genealogy is a really hot topic right now, and in today's Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Blaine Bettinger is here to help us get really set up for success here in 2017. He's the instructor of our Genetic Genealogy 101 course, and he's the author of the book, The Family Tree Guide to DNA Testing and Genetic Genealogy. Welcome back to the podcast, Blaine. Thank you very much, Lisa. Hey, Blaine, there are several different DNA tests out there that genealogists can take. And of course, there are several different companies that offer them. And on top of that, we have to look at this and say, who's the right person in the family to get tested? So I'd love to have you help us out and give us some tips for really making the right choices. Where do we start? Those are very big questions and and very big issues that genealogists have to tackle when they're deciding they want to jump into the DNA testing world. And certainly, one recommendation is that if you're going to be doing DNA testing, you want to test the oldest generation first. That's the generation that is in danger of not being able to test in the near future. And so, you want to test your parents or your grandparents if you're Uh, lucky enough to have them living. And if not, then maybe an uncle or an older cousin. The oldest generation is definitely the one you want to focus on first. Now, as you said, there are several different types of DNA tests and several DNA testing companies. So for example, there are Y-DNA tests, which test your paternal line. And this is a test that's only available to males. So for example, if you're interested in learning about your father's 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 family, and you're a male, or you're a female that, say, has a brother or a father or an uncle that can test, then a Y-DNA test would be a very good test to start out with. Another type of test is the mitochondrial DNA test, which is sort of the other side. It's the mother's 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 line. And that's also a very good test. It's less informative for genealogy purposes, but it can be a a very uh, informative test if you have, say, a mystery on your mother's line somewhere. And although that is testing the mother's line, men and women both inherit that, right? I know men don't pass it on, but they both inherit it so they can both test. That's absolutely right. Okay, great. Very good point. Yep. And the third main type of DNA testing is the autosomal DNA test. And again, this is one that anybody can take, a male or a female. 
And autosomal DNA tests are challenging because they test really all different lines at the same time. And so it, it can be difficult to interpret the results. But at the same time, there is an incredible wealth of information there. And this is really the hot test that is so big right now. It's the, it's the only test offered by Ancestry DNA. It's the only test offered by 23andMe, where Family Tree DNA, the other big DNA testing company, that company offers all three tests, Y-DNA, mitochondrial DNA, and autosomal DNA. So if, if you were someone who doesn't have any specific goals, but you really want to jump into the DNA testing world, then I would recommend starting off with an autosomal DNA test. That will give you your ethnicity estimate, which you have to take with a grain of salt, of course. But it also gives you a list of all of your genetic relatives in the database. And what we're finding is the databases are so big your chances of finding a relatively close relative is is very high, say a third cousin or maybe even a second cousin or closer. So it's a lot of fun to track down what your relationship to these individuals might be. So I, I think a lot of people will say, well, gosh, if you've got one that can do the paternal line and the maternal line, and both of them can go so far back, why would Ancestry DNA and 23andMe, why would they not be doing that test as well? Well, the, the reason is that the type of testing that's done is, is very different from the autosomal DNA test. And so I think Ancestry and 23andMe made the decision to focus on autosomal for the time being. I think it would be excellent if they both tied in Y-DNA, mitochondrial DNA, and I think it's too bad that they don't. But that's a decision they made early on, and, and I don't see that changing in, in anytime soon. Right. So if, if you want to jump in, you've said we can start with an autosomal. Does it, does it really matter which company? Because that'll be the next choice, right, is which company to test with. Well, that, that's definitely a big choice. Now, uh, 23andMe is the only company that also offers at the current time a health interpretation based on your results. Now, there are a couple of levels at 23andMe. You can get just your ancestry test, or you can also get a health test. Now, one problem I have with 23andMe is that they have a very high privacy barrier there. So when you get your list of matches, most of them will be anonymous, and you'll have to contact them to see if they're interested in sharing with you. And because so many people test there for medical reasons, a lot of times they won't respond to your request. So it can be kind of frustrating. Right. On the other hand, Ancestry DNA has an enormous database. It's on the order of millions of people now that have tested there. And so it can be, you, you will get a list of thousands of relatives most of them will be very distant that will be hard to work with. But as I said before, you might get some close relatives. Family Tree DNA's database is slightly smaller, but I, I would recommend if, if you were going to test, you would choose either Ancestry DNA or Family Tree DNA to, to do testing at the current time. And the newest player in this game is MyHeritage. And they have a vast amount of trees on their website and international focus, how do you see them as fitting into the DNA puzzle? I think they're going to have an incredible international focus, as you just said. So one of the challenges is that so much of the DNA testing has been done in the United States. Mm -hmm. 
And so if you are, say, a recent immigrant or you have recent immigrants in your ancestry, then you might not get as many matches because people from those countries have not yet tested. And I think my heritage might be the company that grabs a lot of those test takers in other countries. And I'll know at the current time, if you have a test from, say, 23andMe, Family Tree DNA, or Ancestry DNA, you can upload for free your raw data to MyHeritage right now, and then you'll be in the MyHeritage database as well. So the company that you test with doesn't necessarily mean that's the only company that you can tap into potential matches or other people who are testing. Wow, it's a it's a complex world, but you've helped kind of bring it down to a good starting place. And that is what testing with our oldest relatives first, maybe focusing on autosomal if we have to make a, a choice on which test we're going to do first. And I imagine finally that whatever genealogical question you're trying to answer plays a part in this too. That plays a huge part in it. So my recommendations in, in the last few minutes have been generally if you want to dip your toes in the DNA world. Yeah. Now, if you have a very specific genealogical question, that is going to drive what type of test you want to take. And and it's hard to give a generalization for that because every question is is so fact-specific and so different. But generally, it will come down to which of the three types of tests you want to take. Is it a Y-DNA line, for example? Is it a mitochondrial DNA line? Or is it autosomal that's going to solve the mystery? And so sometimes it's a couple types of testing. Right. But that's definitely a huge part of it. And that's where the course, the book, all that comes into play when you want to take it even further. But I love that you've given us a wonderful starting point. And if you want to get more out of a test that you've already taken or you want to expand beyond that initial dipping your toe in, wow, Genetic Genealogy 101 is the course to take over at Family Tree University. And Blaine, you are the instructor for that course, right? That's right. Awesome. So they really have access to you and and getting answers to questions and walking you really through a, a methodology for doing, you know, genetic genealogy testing. And of course, there's the book, which is a hot seller, The Family Tree Guide to DNA Testing and Genetic Genealogy. And that's available over at Shop Family Tree. So we'll have links to all that in the show notes. And boy, we were so happy to have you here today, Blaine, on the show to help us get started. Well, thank you very much for having me. Okay, well, we're going to wrap up this episode that's been devoted to planning for genealogy success in 2017 over at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Happy 2017. You too. It's it's going to be an exciting year. We've already covered a ton of great stuff in this episode, um, things that will help everybody kind of make the most of it. And uh, I know that you've got some things in the works for 2017 that are new and improved and updated and tell us all about it. Yeah, well, the thing I want to share with everybody that I think is going to help them get their off to a good start and really keep their research going throughout the year is the return of our most popular series that we've ever run in Family Tree Magazine, and it's called the State Research Guides. And here's how it works. If Effectively, there um, is a special section in the center of the magazine. It appears in each of the issues, and we cover two states per issue, and In that section, each state has four pages, 
And in it, we cover all of the basics that you need, all of the resources and tips to be successfully tracing your ancestors in those states. So you'll get tips on vital records, censuses, all of those staples. We provide a timeline and resources, um, some basic history that you need to know for finding records about your ancestors, all in one really convenient quick reference package. And we'll be rolling out two states per issue all year long and until we cover all 50 states. Perfect. You know, I know Dave Frixell has been talking to us. He does the 101 best websites list, as you know, and he, he's been talking about how some of these states have really been improving their own online presence, whether it's archives or digital collections or library catalogs or whatever. And so I imagine this is kind of a moving target. So an update like this is going to be awesome because it means everything is the most current. And there's nothing better than having the most current versus hitting those uh, broken links. So fantastic. Great. It's going to be tapping to all of these. Yeah. In addition, um, it's worth mentioning that as we publish the new and updated guides for each state, those will also become available as downloads in shopfamilytree.com. So if you miss one, you don't necessarily have to be out of luck. You'll have an opportunity to um, go to the store and catch any states that you missed if, if you're not a subscriber. Excellent. Well, good. Okay, well, we'll look forward to the new updated state research guides in each issue of the magazine. And we'll have links over to the store so you can get them wherever you need them. Thank you, Allison. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next month. Sounds great. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining me for the January 2017 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Be sure to head over to the show notes for this episode. You'll find them at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And there you'll find information and website links for everything that we covered today. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and that's also available for free through iTunes, and we have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. (laughs) 